1: You often don't hear the word nuclear in tandem with the idea of peace in the Middle East, and yet here we are. Uh, We are joined by retired General Keith Alexander of the U.S. Army. He is a retired four-star general. Uh, who joins us. He's also the co-founder and director of IP3 Corporation, also chief executive and president of IronNet Cybersecurity. And he joins us here uh, at the Bloomberg New Energy Summit. Um, Thank you so much for being here. I want to start with this idea that an increase in nuclear development in the Middle East could somehow foster peace. A lot of people think of nuclear weapons as being very close to nuclear power plants. Explain uh, how how this could be.
2: Well, that's a great question, and thanks for that, because you see that the Middle East is getting nuclear power. They won't have oil and gas forever, they've got to make a transition for their economies. Several of us got together and said, how do we help do this in a way that ensures security, not only future energy for both of those? Because at the end of the day, that security is something the United States is going to be involved in. It's a vital national interest to our country. So how do we work with the Middle East to get good nuclear power that works, that is secure, and that we know will not be used for weapons? So those are the key ingredients that we brought in. The Middle East, they're our allies. What goes on in the Middle East will affect the rest of the world. We can't back off on it. And from my perspective, the United States has to be involved in how they build their nuclear plants, how they secure them, and how we work with them. The greatest concern is somebody builds it and walks away. This would be a disaster for the rest of the world. So we see this is a great opportunity. You could look at things like wind, solar. But those come and go with the sun or with the wind. And so you need a durable energy base. I think for the future, that's going to be nuclear. Uh, For us, we see this as a great opportunity, not only in the Middle East, but globally, because the rest of the world is going to have to do the same. So now how do we take that step to ensure you have secure, safe nuclear power? And we see the
0: Middle East as the starting point. General Alexander, uh, you're one of the world's experts on cyber security. Not only uh, have you had a distinguished career in the military, but now after your retirement uh, in uh, founding your uh, company and the president of Ironnet uh, cyber security and I wonder if would you offer uh, to people listening to this about their own security online in the wake of we're going to have uh, Mark Zuckerberg he'll be testifying before Congress tomorrow and, uh, and on Wednesday. And uh, this issue, uh, while perhaps not financially uh, as uh, huge as uh, some may describe it to be, has certainly touched a nerve with uh, people who entrust their information to a social media site. What has what you, been your experience, and how, what would you say to people that are concerned about this?
2: Well, it, this is a tough question, and uh, thanks for bringing it up because I'm sure Mark Zuckerberg He's at the center right now of all that attention. The Wired magazine had a great picture of him. uh, And it highlights the issues that he and other companies that use data like that for marketing face. Having said that, I think what's required for our country first is to have a public discussion on what can and cannot be used. And how you can opt in and out. And how you ensure your privacy. Now, there's two parts to what you brought out. One is what what can companies use for the good of their company, of data about you, that they can resell, like ads? The second part, what happens to our cybersecurity online, and how do we protect that? So things like your personally identifiable information, your credit card information, that's wholly different from this, but that will touch this discussion on cybersecurity, privacy, civil liberties. I think our country is in a good place with the general population, that is. We want to use this data for good of mankind, meantime, but yeah. we don't want it to exploit us personally. And that's where people get into this discussion, what are you doing with my data that you didn't tell me about? So I think that transparency up front will go a long ways. And my, my personal opinion is Facebook was trying to do the right thing. I don't wish him any harm in that. I think he was actually trying to do the right thing. I think what they do with Facebook, my wife, my children, they use it. It's been a good thing and a good way for people to communicate and very helpful. I think now we have to up that game and explain where the data goes.
1: I have, I have two questions for you. First, are there currently any plans in development to uh, create nuclear plants in the Middle East that are not currently there?
2: Uh, well, the Saudis have asked for bids from companies to actually build nuclear power plants. In their Vision 2030, they talked to building up to 16 in Saudi Arabia. And if you look at the rest of the region, you have plants right now being built by Russia in Egypt and in Turkey, or at least the initial phases of it. You've got four plants right now being built by Korea in yeah. the United Arab Emirates. So it is going nuclear. So you have that already on the table.
1: So in in just 30 seconds, I'm wondering what you think of the cybersecurity of nuclear power plants, both that have been created there as well as in the U.S. Are are we at risk there?
2: It's absolutely vital that we get that straight. So one of the things that IP3 has brought in is this concept of not just putting in nuclear power, but ensuring it's secure, not only in cybersecurity, but in physical space as well. And for us, that means working with our allies.
0: I want to thank you very much for coming in and spending time with us uh, here at the uh, Bloomberg New Energy uh, Finance uh, Summit. Uh, retired General Keith Alexander of the U.S. Army, co-founder director of IP3 Corporation, also the chief executive and the president of IronNet Cybersecurity. And, of course, thank you, uh, General, for your thank service you. to our nation. Much appreciated.
1: Chris <laughs> Ailman, who is giving us a round of high fives right now, chief investment officer of California State Teachers Retirement System, known for riding that bicycle to work and listening to us on his uh, you bet. Right earphones now, while, uh, while he does so. Uh, we can't uh, wait to speak with you. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Chris Ailman oversees CalSurge, which is a $231.6 billion pension fund, the second biggest public uh, U.S. pension in the country. Um, I want to start with attention between responsible investing and the vast move toward indexing. And this goes to sort of this profound question of how do you pressure companies to behave well when you can't really sell their shares? And Facebook is uh, a prime example of this. You yourself have deleted your Facebook account and yet your your pension is not selling uh, their shares. How are you going to make them more responsible when it comes to data security?
3: I think indexing and uh, responsible investment are actually perfectly aligned. Really, because it's a long term investment. I would say to Mark Zuckerberg, as long as there are public school teachers in the state of California, we're going to own that stock. So we have a long term focus, much longer than than really even some of his employees do. So we want them to perform. We want companies to do well, not for the next quarter. Or even year, but for the next 20 and 30 years.
1: Okay, but just to push back, if you're not going to sell your shares, how do you pressure them to do something that might work out for them in three years' time, but will cause a hit to their bottom line in the next year?
3: That's where we talk to the board of directors, and that's our only influence, is to get the board of directors to realize we don't really just, we're having a longer horizon than even management does. And, and I've talked to CEOs. It's so hard for them to, to get their head around that, that we're going to be involved in their company longer than they will be there. So we have a broader perspective. We want them to make decisions. We don't care about the next 91 days earnings. What we really care about is how they do over the next 20 and 30 years. So we're the ideal long-term capital that, that they really want, and they want patient capital. They're tired of people flying in and out of their stock they they themselves, since they've they've invested their personal lives in their company, think that they want investors who are invested for their lives with their company.
0: Do they want patient capital that don't have any voting rights? I think management would absolutely love that. And,
3: uh, and I that think that's kind just of, offensive. That is just absolutely wrong. But isn't that what you have in the at USA? Facebook? Yes, it is. Unfortunately,
1: well, but to, to Pim's
3: point, Silicon Valley, as well, I said before, they like that model, and we just that's got to stop. If you want use of other people's capital, you have to give them some rights.
1: But to Pim's point, if you don't have the rights, you can't vote the board of directors out of office. That is correct. Do you find that they're receptive? Because I know that you did send a letter to Facebook. Have they responded?
3: They do care about what people think because they have reputational damage and those individuals care about their perception. I mean, there's a hospital in San Francisco named Zuckerberg Hospital. He cares about his public image, so he wants to listen to people. Because at some point, companies have got to realize that if they're going to use other people's capital, they're going to have some shareholder rights. They've got to have some ability to have a dialogue with that, uh, with that board of directors. Uh, that's been a tradition in America for over 200 years, and
0: it needs to stay in place. Well, is there any way that you could actually put that to a legal test? Because unless you have a situation like a breach of security, or unless you have poor performance of a stock, you don't hear many investors say that, almost on a moral basis, if you take my money, I at least want to vote in how my company operates.
3: Uh, I guess I'd argue uh, we do. We don't do it in headlines. We don't do it on radio. What we do it is through you can, dialogue Go ahead. through the Council of Institutional Investors, though. But we do it in a constant dialogue with companies, which is to to the Chamber of Commerce and to the Business Roundtable. We are the ones that elect the board of directors. We want more independent board of directors, not selected by management, people who will think about the long term, about the health of the company, about shareholders, about the employees, because that's about the most important asset. So let's take Mark for an example. Zuckerberg thinks he's got God's gift of wisdom about what to do on social media. kind of looks like they're making some mistakes right in here. If an individual runs the company like they're king, they're going to make mistakes. And at some point, the board of directors are going to have to step in and take that company away from that people and bring in Wait, somebody else to sug- advise them.
1: Are you suggesting that Mark Zuckerberg could be pushed out as CEO? Uh,
3: no. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, he, no one can. No one has that power. All right. well, right. Let's we, see how he does this week. But, you know, right. that will, somebody in that company and the employees in that company care.
1: So, uh, since we are here at the Future of Energy Global Summit, I know you care deeply about the uh, future of energy. I want to ask, has there been a company that you own shares of that you've actually made an impact in discussions with them to act more responsibly?
3: Um, Tough question, yes. We think we can say there's a direct line between our engagement and their activity. Can I show you a change in the stock price? Can I show you a discrete change? No, it's very hard to measure up because there's so many different things that are driving the markets on a given day. But we've gotten involved with companies to dialogue with them about pesticide use, about their uh, methane emissions. We've been one of the nation's leaders of pension plans and getting people to disclose. And then CEOs and boards are more aware of what their methane is and they're paying attention to that as a cost and realizing they need to change the way they do their energy mix.
1: Which company has been most responsive to you on this?
3: I can't give you a specific name. I, I apologize for that, but I will talk to my staff. And uh, I know my corporate governance team has done a lot of work in this area and can, can give you very
0: specific names
3: about electric utilities that have stepped up. Thanks very much for being with us. We'll track
1: uh, you back on.
0: Please do. <laughs> yeah, he's going to bring his bicycle next time. You betcha. All right. Chris Aylman, he is the Chief Investment Officer at CalSTRS, uh, helping to manage the uh, future pensions kind uh, current, current pensions of yes, uh, the uh, public uh, state employees of the state of California. Much appreciated. We are broadcasting from Bloomberg's Future of Energy Global Summit in New York City at the Bloomberg New Energy Finance Summit. Here to tell us a little bit more about the world of energy is someone who knows a lot about it is Thomas Fanning. He is the chairman, the president, and the chief executive of Southern Company. Tom Fanning, thanks very much for being here. Appreciate it.
4: Yeah, Pim, great
0: being here. Good to see you again. Good to see you, too. A topic that I'm always interested in is give us an update on nuclear power in the United States. We'll get to things like shale and all that kind of great stuff,
4: but let's talk about electricity generation and the role that nuclear power plays. So, nuclear power in the United States portfolio currently represents about 20% of the energy production. Uh, A lot of those plants, particularly in organized markets, so in the Northeast, Midwest, are at risk um, because of the pricing structures there. As Southern Company is located in the southeast, largely integrated, regulated markets, I think we've got a better environment in which to operate those plants. Further, Southern Company now remains the only company in America still developing new nuclear. So we're going forward on that.
1: You know, uh, I want to talk about how the results have been. Because I know you've been working on a number of different plants and have faced some challenges. And I'm just wondering, you know, which obstacles are you most concerned about going forward? And uh, which are you sort of looking at as, as sort of challenges you've overcome that sort of show why you're optimistic?
4: <laughs> well, uh, nuclear has enjoyed a tremendous amount of support from the United States government. I think it's in a national security interest that the united states remains involved in new nuclear development and so as we uh, undertook this project way back even before i became chairman of southern company back in 2008 and 9 we've been able to preserve those kinds of incentives to carry to the benefit of our customers further uh, i think one of the big challenges we faced on plant Vogel has been the bankruptcy of Westinghouse right so they wrote off about six billion dollars themselves and as a result of the commercial (coughs) uh, arrangement we have with Toshiba Westinghouse's parent we were able to get three point seven billion dollars of guarantees out of Toshiba when you add up the ability to have the tax benefits in place that all accrue to the benefit of our customers and the commercial uh, obligations that were undertaken by Toshiba and also the costs that were borne by Westinghouse, we're still able to say, and this gets underreported so much, that the original price estimate rate impact to our customers was 12%. And right now, even with the schedule and the extra cost, we're going to bring Plant Vogel in at a below... 10% 10% looking number.
1: In other words, the, the amount that consumers need to spend will only be 10% more than what they currently do, rather than 12%, as your initial estimates were. That's
4: right. Even with the schedule and cost changes. And that's because Toshiba's paid for, Westinghouse took some write-offs, and then we have tax benefits. Well, just
1: to push back a little bit, I mean, Toshiba didn't want to be involved in this anymore. And I, I believe that you had conversations with them to sure, try absolutely. to keep them involved. You know, Why didn't they want to be?
4: No, th- it's not that they didn't want to be involved. They bought Westinghouse, and Westinghouse is our primary contractor. And as a result, we had some very wise people negotiate those arrangements. Toshiba never really had an interest particularly other than Westinghouse. We had the parent guarantee Westinghouse's obligations. If we did not have the parent guarantee, Westinghouse would have just declared bankruptcy, and we would have had a general creditor's obligation in bankruptcy court. Instead, we had Toshiba sitting there owing us 3.7 billion. and we got it. With the help of the United States government, I'll, I'll add. they've been terrific. Tom, uh, you're also uh, pushing uh,
0: aggressively into solar power, you bet. And I'm wondering if, if people recognize, or maybe you don't if it's not accurate to say, but that nuclear power and solar power can be beneficial not only in terms of the rate structure but also in
4: terms of the environment. Oh, that's absolutely right. Look, we're committing this year in a very formal way, and I guess I've already made a little bit of news at your conference today. I was going to kind of do this at my annual meeting, and I'll do this in a much more rigorous way there. Uh, To commit to take Southern's generation portfolio, we produce about as much energy as the nation of Australia, a little bit less. We're really big. And to move that generation portfolio to a low-to-no-carbon future is a big deal. To do that, we need nuclear. To do that, we need a much bigger penetration of renewables. I've always been much more of a fan of solar. Okay, The southeast really doesn't have much wind flows, and and wind has some other issues, if you want to get into that. But then we need technology innovation. Okay, We need storage capability. We need... Innovation around dealing with the carbon atom. Because I think there still will be, and it likely will come from gas. We'll still have carbon intensive fuels at play. We just need to do something with the carbon.
1: Tom, I wish we had another hour with you. Unfortunately, we have run out of time, but we have to have you back because it's wonderful to have you on fabulous. Fanning, Chairman, President, Chief Executive Officer of Southern Company in Atlanta, Georgia, the one executive who is willing and excited to spend billions of dollars on nuclear and is uh, aggressively trying to cut his carbon footprint.
0: We are broadcasting from the Future of Energy Summit by Bloomberg's New Energy Finance here at the Grand Hyatt Hotel in Midtown Manhattan. And, you know, Lisa, of course, one of the big topics here has to do with solar energy and all of the solar panels that are being installed on people's roofs around the country. Uh, it turns out, though, that uh, the actual growth in the industry has slowed. And indeed, if you take a look at the number of megawatts that was added last year... Yeah using these solar panels, it dropped by 16% compared to the year before. Now, this is the first decline that they've registered from the year 2000.
1: Yeah, well, this is this is a fascinating uh, also survey that was put out earlier this year. 61% of solar project developers who were polled said they were anticipating installations to drop by more than 25% this year, in large part due to the higher cost incurred in implementing some of those solar panels in the wake of some of the tariffs.
0: Indeed. And uh, here to tell us more about it is Tom Werner. He is the president and the chief executive of SunPower. They're based in San Jose. He joins us here at the Bloomberg New Energy Finance Summit. Tom, thanks very much for being here. Uh, maybe you could just tell us about this decline in the number of installs and the declining amount of growth that we're seeing in the use of solar panels on people's homes. What's, what's the cause of this? Um, well, it's still
5: a very incentive-driven uh, industry. Um, and the policies vary from state to state. What we're seeing is in California... Uh, which has been the real driver of uh, distributed generation. We're seeing state policy or or the uh, uh, transition from NEM, net metering 1.0 to net metering 2.0. And so there's some transition challenges. Uh, but we're seeing great things happen in new states like... Uh, massachusetts so we have new states coming online that are growing fast but it's that transition that's happening in the biggest market
1: well how much of a factor are the tariffs that president trump announced last year specifically on solar panels uh being made here and making it more expensive
5: well the the tariffs are super important if you think about uh, the cost of a solar system call it one two three, one dollar for installed watt and a utility scale, two for commercial and three for residential. If you add say uh, twenty or thirty cents, it's big deal to a utility scale power plant. We're seeing business push out and seeing uh, development slow down considerably there, less so in residential. So the tariffs are super big deal and as you probably know we're in the exclusion process so we hope that Any comes. news on that? Uh, well I'll be in DC tomorrow. Uh, the comment period ends Monday and then there's 4 weeks uh, well 4 weeks there's some period of time after that that they'll make decisions. Uh it's very very hard to read. I think our position's awesome. I mean, we meet all of the criteria. So on a logical basis, you'd think an American solar company, billion dollars of payroll over 5 years, differentiated technology, customers want it.
0: We think our odds are good, but we don't know. The, uh, the marketing efforts by the actual installing companies uh, have pushed this idea that you don't actually have to pay for the solar panels, that you can just lease them. You don't have to have any money down. Does that model need to change in order to provide you with a more uh, consistent uh, uh, industry backdrop? Uh, so.
5: SunPower allows customers to choose, they can buy a system, they can lease it, they can get a loan. I think what uh, the key here is uh, the evolution of financing, that as it matures and the risk premium of solar goes down, then solar becomes far more affordable. Uh, We're also seeing with the ITC phase down over the next few years, a shift from lease to loan. And I think more customers want to own the system when when they're done paying uh, the monthly bill.
1: So uh, one thing that SunPower has announced in light of the tariffs has been the building of a U.S. plant. Yes. And I'm wondering, uh, you said that it was in part in response to the tariffs that President Trump announced. Does it increase your cost of doing business to have a plant in the U.S.? And if so, by how much?
5: Um, So... Uh, It would be fair to say that some power is going to manufacture in the U.S. because of the tariffs. I'd say more importantly because we get it. We know where the administration wants to go. And uh, we're such an important part of the American solar industry, it sort of makes sense for us to be a leader. Uh, Yes, it adds costs. It's not easy. There's a reason why we weren't making product in America. However, we can make higher-end product. Uh, more automated facilities things that fit this market and of course logistics are better so we think we can engineer our way to uh, a solution that makes sense and we've done so much work on it that we're down to two sites and soon to make a call
1: One, one thing I'm wondering about do you have enough people to hire skilled people
5: Ah, that's a great question because uh, it's sort of a a contradiction, right? We want American manufacturing, yet we're super short on labor, so that's a big part of our criteria. The two sites we're looking at, we think so. Uh, But a trained, skilled workforce is super important because in America, they need to be more productive because, frankly, we pay more. Um, and so, I think a lot of us are looking for those same employees, so that's a big challenge. It's, uh, we'll talk more on that,
0: we'll see how it goes. And just quickly, what, what do you want to get out of this New Energy uh, Summit that you're attending here in New York? Well, I think this, is a, this New Energy Summit
5: is a great place to meet senior people, both in the uh, supply chain, uh, already today met uh, battery uh, manufacturers. Uh, and then customers who have terawatts of load, and then financiers who are the lubricant for the whole system. Everybody's here, so the ecosystem's here, so this is where the action is to sort of get a sense of how 18's going to shape up in 19.
1: I just can feel the energy in the air, so to speak. <laughs> Tom <laughs> Werner, thank you so much for being here, Tom Werner, President and Chief Executive Officer at Sun Power, which is based in San Jose, uh, here with us at the Bloomberg New Energy Finance Summit.